0: Welcome to the CRE Podcast, 100% Canadian, 100% commercial real estate. Now here are your hosts, Aaron Cameron and Adam Pawatik. Welcome to the Real Estate Forums Ask the Experts. I am Adam Pawatik. With me is Aaron Cameron. We are both lenders with First National as well as being hosts of the Commercial Real Estate Podcast. Our returning guest today is Ray Wong. He's a vice president of data operations and data solutions with Altus Group. Anybody that regularly views these or listens to these knows that we like having him on. He would be right up there in most requested, most repeat guests. He always brings a ton of knowledge. Today, we're going to focus on Toronto and Vancouver office, the first and third largest office markets in the country. Ray, welcome back. Thank you. And thank you for inviting me again. We won't get into Ray's background because he's been on too many times, but I think that anybody who pays attention to this at all knows that he's you know, one of the voices in the industry worth listening to. In order to get us going, Ray does have a slide presentation. We're going to run through a bunch of numbers at you, and that will spur the conversation on from there. So Ray, I'm going to ask you now to jump into your slides. I think we've got about six, seven minutes of those planned, and then we can get into the deep conversation afterwards. Perfect.
1: Adam, I've been dying to throw some slides in these podcasts, so thank you for the opportunity. (laughs) The biggest thing on the office market is, in addition to return to normalcy, and this is sort of pre-pandemic, was the need to attract and retain talent. So the latest status information on Friday, it was rather positive, with 90,000 new jobs and 60,000 of that were permanent. That brings down the unemployment rate down to about 7.1%. So slightly higher than the pre-pandemic jobs numbers that were in February of 2020. But that doesn't mean we're seeing office availability rates return to the same levels as 20 months ago. So this first slide, compared to Q2 2020 versus Q2 2021, Still shows an increase in the availability rates right across Canada, especially with Vancouver and Toronto. But we ran some numbers before the third quarter, and the numbers are starting to trend downwards. Can I have slide two, please? And the big news that you've been hearing is basically the sublet as a percentage of the available space. So with respect to Vancouver, two Q twenty 2020 twenty to twenty twenty-one, you're seeing a decrease. In Toronto, the numbers are still up quite a bit compared to a year ago. But again, this is the biggest thing that a lot of the tenants did when this pandemic hit, that they didn't need space and they're trying to lease or sell the space in the open market, driving up the availability rate. Slide three, please. What this shows you is that we heard earlier on this year that there's definitely an increase in number of showings and inquiries to brokers as well as to owners respect to looking at space and looking at their options either to renew, to expand, or shrink their space. Now, we ran the first half of this year versus the first half of last year, and we're still down. We're down by close to about 900,000 square feet on a national basis, but we anticipate that based on the number of inquiries, increasing, increase in showings, that this should pick up in the second half of 2021 and we look at 11 million square feet achieved for the entire year of 2020, we should be able to sort of exceed that from a lease activity perspective. So things are starting to look a little bit more normal, but again, compared to 2018 and 2019, we're far off from over 20 million square feet of lease activity in each of those two years. And Ray, do you have visibility on who's actually leasing this space? Definitely. So the good news is that with respect to Toronto, it's both traditional firms like the accounting firms and the financial institutions, as well as what we've seen with the tech sector. So we look at Google being a new tenant to new office development, looking at about 400,000 square feet, and as well as sort of the renewal of space with the bank in Nova Scotia, close to about 550,000 square feet, is showing that office space is still needed. And we look at, the Vancouver marketplace is more toward tech and as well as the resource sector. We talked on the last call about Tronic Arts taking up the space that's recently transacted with the former Mountain Equipment Co-op building. And that's slightly outside of the downtown or downtown fringe. You still have that element of close to amenities, but again, it's close to transportation with the light transit system. So anything close to convenience with public transit, it still works. So we're still seeing a fair amount of lease activity taking place. But the challenge that we're seeing is that there's still quite a bit of space in the market.
2: Raymond, I know we're going to get into it in a bit. Is it still early to kind of get a sense if there's that transition to being more balanced between core and suburbs? And I know before it was always core. And so the suburbs were always kind of the second class office space as a result of the pandemic. Are we seeing that transition? Is it still just too early?
1: It depends where you are. In Vancouver, where they had a little bit more balance between the vacancy rate in the suburbs versus downtown. So we're seeing even recovery, whereas Toronto, there's a big difference between suburban office vacancy rates compared to downtown. And that's also based on the slightly older buildings in the suburbs. There are some newer stock in sort of the Meadowvale, Mississauga area, especially with buildings that are built specifically for one tenant. But it's a downtown of close to about 9 million square feet in Toronto alone. that you're seeing a lot of that movement toward the newer space. And when you look at Calgary, the Calgary suburban office vacancy rate is actually better than the downtown. And again, it's based on that over construction, based on the resource and the energy sector have driven that. But just depends on where you are. You would expect, that the suburban office vacancy rates to be coming down more, especially in Toronto, based on more people that want to be able to work from home and be closer to the office. We just haven't seen that turn yet.
2: Compared to Toronto and Vancouver, and you mentioned Calgary, so maybe throw that in too, is part of the distinction or the difference between the geographies, the expected rates, the rents you're getting in the core versus the suburbs? Like, what's that delta? Does that delta vary? Dependent on where you are, or is it fairly consistent between core and suburbs, no matter where you are in the country?
1: Typically, in the urban area, the office rents, especially the taxes, are higher compared to the suburbs. But in Vancouver, the challenge was that the overall availability rate for suburbs and downtown were relatively low. Basically, tenants didn't have any choice. They had to rent in the suburbs to be able to get space, and because the downtown just couldn't accommodate Whereas Toronto, they're building that fair amount of space. There's a little bit more flexibility in the downtown, despite below 2 or 3% vacancy rate that we saw a few years ago. So there's a bit of pent up. And with respect to Calgary, it's sort of the same story with the higher occupancy costs. But again, with respect to Calgary, with the amount of incentives that the owners are offering the office tenants there, you're seeing a little bit of movement to the downtown but again the suburban vacancy rate is healthier in Calgary versus downtown.
0: Now Ray, I know you've got two slides left, but before we jump into those, I just had a quick question on the the sublease availability rate. As time goes on and those office leases do mature, those are going to turn into to vacancy. And so barring some sort of huge shift in demand where that's all taken up, is that going to be a significant counterforce against Office comeback, will it will be a serious drag or more of a minor drag given the amount of that space right now.
1: Adam, I think you're cheating because you're looking at my fifth slide. So <laughs> let me just go through the <laughs> sure. Let's get into the slides um, then. <laughs> if we go to slide four, that gives you an idea of the lease activity that is taking place. So we broke it down into expansion, new tenant, renewal, and sublet, broken down by 2019 and 2020, 2021. In 2019, a lot of that new Tennessee that close to 7 million square feet across Canada, that was based on the leasing activity in the newer buildings. And we didn't really see that much sort of sublet space activity occur. We're seeing more so that in 2021. And with respect to renewals in 2019, because tenants didn't really have a choice for space based on a low availability rates that they were forced to renew. And 2020, again, that's where we're seeing that hesitation. And some of that hesitation or that delayed decisions were are moving into 2021. That's why we're expecting more activity to happen in 2021 versus 2020. You have a full year of lease activity versus 2020, whereby it's partial. So if we go to slide five, this is what we're talking about. We're seeing a decrease in, this is just the downtown. This is my positive Slide in the slide deck that we're seeing the overall availability of sublet or sublet space as a percentage of the available space actually decreasing in our sort of preliminary third quarter numbers in both Toronto and Vancouver. Now, that isn't all of the result of the lease activity on the sublet side, but it's also based on some of the blend and extends with some of the tenants that renegotiated their space. So one, they probably took less space. So some of that sublet space converted into the direct space. And as well as some of the sublet space, the terms sort of expired. That's what we said last year that the sublet space that was coming on the marketplace were not really that great of a sublet opportunity because one, the space and two, the amount of term that's left in the lease. And some of that was between one and two years. So what's going to hit this marketplace and again, It's interesting with Toronto, the overall vacancy rate in Toronto is actually, downtown Toronto is actually down, but the overall vacancy rate for the GTA is actually up, and that's because of some of that conversion from sublet to direct space. In Vancouver, we're actually seeing the increase in demand as well, so sublet space is down, but the overall ability rate or vacancy rate is down between, it's going to be, by the end of this month, down between 30 and 50 basis points. So we're starting to see some of that positive momentum in downtown Toronto and downtown Vancouver. But the next wave that we're going to hit is the office completions that are coming up in the next three to five years that will add in Vancouver and Toronto close to about 13 to 15 million square feet of space. So that's going to push up the availability. So. This is actually good news for the downtown. It's the first time we're actually seeing a bit of a churn with slightly lower vacancy rates compared to the last four or five quarters.
0: So if I can dumb this down to my own level, the market will diffuse this minor ticking time bomb over the next couple of years. But you also mentioned with the new product coming on stream, if we were to look way forward, when are we going to get back to those ultra low vacancies that we had prior to COVID, or is that just not in the picture for the next five, six, seven years?
1: The challenge we're seeing, again, it's going to chip away over the next three to five years. Again, with Toronto, you have the financial sector, and it's a little bit uncertainty with some of the banks of what they're going to be doing with their leases over the next 12 to 18 months, whether or not they're actually going to reduce their footprints. But the thing is, is that from the new construction standpoint, the leases that have been signed, I haven't heard of any sort of lease cancellation. There could be a few tenants, but we've also seen a couple more sort of announcements, especially with Toronto, with a couple of sort of smaller buildings, about 100 or between 75,000 square foot being announced with some tenants in there, especially you're going to see that in the suburbs. The suburbs don't get a lot of notice, but any given year they get between half a million to close to a million square feet of new office supply and the suburbs is just a lot more sort of smaller buildings being built. And it's not the 1.2 or 1.5 million square foot building that are being, they get most of the notice in Vancouver and Toronto. So it's going to take us a little bit longer. And the other aspect is that I think there's going to be some redevelopment of some of the older office buildings, particularly in Toronto, maybe Vancouver as well. That will sort of reduce the inventory a little bit. And what we also will be seeing that we haven't seen in the last year is the return of immigration. Last year, I think there was about 200,000 people immigrated to Canada. And I think going forward for this year or next year, I don't think we're going to hit these numbers, but the immigration level is expected to increase to about 400,000 over the next couple of years going out. So that's going to bring in more people. So that's going to have a major benefit, depending on how you look at it, positive impact on the housing market, but it will also create greater demand. And I know that there's a big discussion right now with affordability of housing, but it's just going to sort of tax that going forward. So it's going to take some time for the office markets to return to more of a balanced level. But again, there's a lot of new supply that's going through the system as well.
2: Ray, I know, of course, on the demand side, there's still so much uncertainty, but we have heard some announcements where some major tenants have just decided that they're not coming back. There is no more office in their future. Is that a inconsistent trend? Is that something you're hearing less and less about? you think that was kind of a knee-jerk? That has a major impact when we talk about availability rates and the speed at which it comes back. I haven't talked about rates yet, but I think we'll get there. Is there fear in some degree in the landlords there's a depleting tenant base?
1: It's yes and no. When you look at the conference board employment forecast, they're still forecasting employment growth, and that's a reflection of new companies coming into the market that will Take up some of that space, but it was more so a year ago whereby companies were planning to reduce by 50% or not needing space at all. But I think the number going forward, again, goes back to with your comment with any type of knee-jerk reaction, what initial comments are and what sort of reality going forward. So now I think the baseline is anywhere from 15 to 25% of potential reductions that a company that are reducing. The other impact on the sublet space was also based on some of the companies that decided that really they actually need the space and they took the space off the market to use it themselves. I think companies are still trying to figure out how much space they need for social distancing and how much space they need for collaboration and for the employees to interact. And when we get into this hybrid model, again, we're going from pre-pandemic with everyone in the office five days a week to now only certain departments and maybe two or three days a week. And the office usage is going to change. And I think it's going to take a while for the companies to figure out what that need is. So for the landlords, they still have a fair amount of leases in place. They're still getting paid on their space. But once these terms start expiring is when they're going to have to try to figure out with either tenant incentives or different ways to use their space for offices to add more retail or more service component or medical or wellness factor to help utilize that space. So I think this is sort of the start of that discussion. And you're right, right now, there's almost like an ongoing debate and discussion where everyone has an opinion of whether or not space is needed, but for now, it's quite evident, based on some of the lease activity and where the downtown vacancy rates are going in third quarter, that space is still needed and people aren't running away from their commitments from office space, and they do recognize that is important element of their business.
2: It's such an interesting discussion, right? Because I can't believe we're almost what a year and a half into this, and we've been talking about it basically since the start of COVID and the impact of this on office space. And there's no more race to the tightest per square foot per employee, like there has been in the past, and that number will probably reverse if it hasn't already. But what's interesting, you know, and we're going through this, I think every company is going through this, what is the impact of not being in the office on culture? And that's a theoretical question, not a scientific question. And it's so hard to know. But I think as companies tackle that, and some get back to the office and some don't, and how does that impact your ability to do business, all of this will become clear and the demand for office space will kind of spec itself out. But I mean, I can't see it really becoming clear in the next 24 months, if not longer. With that in mind, are you seeing like the lease durations, whether it's the renewals or the sublets or tenants kind of saying, hey, listen, I see kind of a two-year bump. Like I just need to get through this so I actually know what I'm looking
1: for in the long run? Yeah. And we were seeing that pre-pandemic, that companies were looking for better flexibility of their lease terms and the average lease terms for it was between five and 10 or 10 or 15 with renewal bumps. But they were looking for between three and five year terms with some sort of flexibility. And then that's what we talked about earlier with respect to the demand for co working space or having for co working space to be seen as amending within the premises to allow for existing tenants to either not have their own boardroom, but just sort of rent it out and use it or get access and pay a fee as they need it, not have to commit to five years on boardroom space if it's only being used 20% of the time. So I think there's that going forward. And again, that was happening before this pandemic and how we evolve and how we use the space. But it's all about flexibility. And right now, that's where you're getting a lot of discussion in the suburbs to have either satellite offices or have some co-working space that the employees that don't want to have to be downtown but want a certain amount of dedicated space For them to have access to. And then the other aspect is that we're also seeing that in some of the new residential condominiums and apartments that are being built that their apartments now are becoming an extension of the workplace. So not just in their office, but owners are coming up with different types of amenities in the common area to allow for either some sort of dedicated desk or some co-working, a little bit more privacy to be able to take calls. So your home has become a little bit more of an extension of your workplace by having those amenities as part of the common area where you are, rather than having to travel back to the office or someplace else. Yeah, it sure
0: beats sitting in Starbucks all day if your building has an amenity like that. Ray, I want to talk about about a headline-grabbing transaction that happened I believe it was earlier this year. And that was the Scotia Bank renewal. They took 550,000 square feet and it kind of divided people's opinions because they did reduce their total square feet. So one side of the camp, you have people pointing out that they've reduced, and this is you know a sign of impending doom for all downtown landlords that rely on these banks taking massive spaces. But on the other side, you had a bank renewing over a half million square feet, which is a sign of faith of continued operations downtown and work from office. So, what did that transaction tell you?
1: Well, it's sort of like that glass being half full. Well, I think it's a positive. It shows the commitment of downtown Toronto, it shows the commitment of being in that space. And I'm going to use a retail example. Remember when Target and Sears closed their doors and the owners pivoted by breaking up those large floor plates and putting in other multiple tenants or perhaps an upper and a lower floor? And I think. With respect to office landlords, it's going to be the same thing. There's going to be a bit of adjustment on how they utilize the space. And instead of one large tenant, they could be a mix of tenants within that space, but other sort of uses as well as wellness centers and others as well to have some sort of cash flow within those premises. So I think we're still going to that level of adjustment going forward with respect to what's going to happen with that space that they didn't lease. And it's just going to take some time because I think what landlords also need is be able to to sort of retrofit that space to upgrade the HVAC system or anything else they need to make it a little bit more competitive, especially with the newer office buildings that are coming to the market.
0: Ray, while we're on the topic of downtown banks, RBC building is up for sale right now. And correct me if I'm wrong, there's not been a lot of large transactions to really point at as clear indications of where the market is headed. So what are your expectations for that building? And just for reference sake, it's about 9% vacant, which I guess would be in line with market. So what are you thinking about how that transaction is going to play out?
1: It's a great asset, center ice in downtown Toronto, and as a strong existing tenant. And the thing is, those type of buildings, and again, These buildings last sold in the 1990s, so they don't come on the market that often, and they're iconic. And being in Toronto and being recognized, you're probably going to have a lot of interest from both on the foreign side and the domestic and institutional firms. So I think with that asset, it'll be interesting to see who steps up and who the bidders are for this office complex, but I don't think there's going to be a problem being able to sell that building at the expectation of what the value is. And again, those type of buildings just never come on the market. Similar to some of your regional malls, like your Yorkdales, they just never really come into the market. So once they do, they track a lot of attention. And especially with that building right across the Union Station, access to public transit. And again, that's when people are a little bit more comfortable using public transit. By those buildings don't really come up on the market that often.
2: Let's just expand a little bit, Ray, for those that may not be familiar. Connected to the path. I mean, it was recently constructed, right? Is it 10 years, maybe?
1: That building, I think it was built in the
2: 70s. Oh, so it's a different building than I'm thinking of. So which is the address? Do you know off the top of your head? Just to clarify for our listeners, viewers.
1: Well, it's that gold building downtown across from Union Station. Okay, great. How many square feet do you know off the top of your head? No, a lot like it's
2: big we're talking hundreds of thousands of square feet sorry to put you on the spot it is a huge piece of real estate i'm assuming it's going to collect a valuation in the hundreds and hundreds of millions correct
1: yeah and perhaps even north of that so whatever number you're thinking of it's probably higher than that yeah okay there you go so a big transaction
2: once a year type of transaction
1: then once in a decade or once in 20 years those buildings just never come up very very cool I mean, I kind of teased
2: about rates. I mean, we've talked about availability and just the sublet activity and just where the vacancy trends are going. How is that impacting rents right now in the office space? And maybe if you need to carve it up, maybe do Vancouver versus Toronto, core versus suburb. What makes the
1: most sense to you? Well, I can sort of make a general comment that landlords are offering free rent and build out of space. Again, it's sort of hedging their bet with regards to making sure that the space is leased up. So with the vacancy rates we're seeing, we're definitely going to see landlords being a lot more active, securing some of the tenants. And you've seen Calgary go through that, especially with their downtown. They throw a lot more inducements to attract the proper tenants. But we're nowhere close. I remember in the early 1990s when you had negative net effective rents, and that's basically the landlord actually almost... You're covering the tax and operating, but almost paying you to actually go into the premises to cover the tax and operating. I don't think we're at that point because that's where you saw close to 20% office vacancy rates because of the oversupply and no demand. I don't think we're even close to that, but there are some incentives for tenants in the marketplace and landlords to try to hedge their bet a little bit and make sure that the space is leased up.
0: I want to end off with asking you about your predictions for the rest of the year. And for people who like to tune in regularly, we'll save our 2022 predictions for Ray's next appearance in November. But I want to get into an amenity in buildings, which is parking. Prior to COVID, parking in downtown offices, and correct me if I'm wrong, have been seen declining use. But of course, we do get back into the swing of things at work. People will not be getting the subway and the GO train in the large volumes that they were prior. So will parking be an issue downtown, trying to accommodate the surge in drivers that will play out as COVID hopefully slowly fades from our life. I've been downtown a few
1: times, most recently a, a couple of weeks ago, and definitely not seeing people using public transit as much. But you're seeing a lot more traffic on the highway. So um, typically when I leave around 530 or 6, as I live north of the city, about an hour, hour 15 minutes to get home, and I was hitting those numbers when I was leaving downtown. So I think people have shifted to a certain extent from public transit and our driving. And that's one of the top amenities with the survey, I guess what, six months ago, what tenants want is access to parking. And again, until with this whole thing with people feeling safe again, with regards to take public transit in close proximity to people, I think that it's gonna grow. And right now with this fourth wave that's hitting us, some of the companies have delayed some of their back to work plans. So we probably won't see the full impact of this until end of this year or beginning of next year. And if you look at Hong Kong and Asia was a little bit quicker with return to the office. So their overall levels of occupancy is still down by about 13% pre-pandemic, but their public transit ridership is at around 73%. So more people are coming back in, but I think they're looking at alternative ways as well. So. The public transit use is almost back up to pre-COVID level. So I think we're going to see that same element, that we're going to see a lot of traffic and that it's going to be slowly increasing public ridership as people become more comfortable of being close proximity, people on the subway or a bus.
0: Yeah, I throw myself in that camp. I was a daily subway rider up until COVID and we do go back. I'm 100% going to be on the clogged roads and contributing to the problem, but it is what it is. So that kind of covers your parking prediction for the rest of the year. What about the larger office market? What do you see happening between now and the end of the year? What metrics are going to move? What trends do you see coming out or not coming to fruition? You know, the things that we're worried about.
1: You sort of hate to say this as a researcher. There's still a certain amount of uncertainty, and I think companies are still trying to decide what type of office they want. So I think for the remainder of this year, that I think lease activity will be up compared to. A year ago, but more of the same as people still trying to figure out or sort out what their needs are. And I think it's also going to be dependent on this fourth way. And if cases start going up, speaking from Toronto, but if you look at what's happening with respect to Alberta and B.C., whether or not that's going to slow down, return to the office. And whether or not that's going to bring back lockdowns and whether or not we're going to see a slowdown in the economy, because we're already seeing that bit of a slowdown in the housing sector, that the number of transactions are down. But overall, values are still up in Toronto, up 20% compared to a year ago. So prices haven't dropped, but whether or not the economy starts to slow down a little bit, especially if there's another wave that hits us. It
2: is a very uncertain time, particularly as it relates to the office market. Maybe, Ray, on a more on a personal note, you mentioned your commute. What is Altus's status right now? Are you in the office still figuring it out? How does that look?
1: It's based on a volunteer basis because I think we realize that some people actually prefer they're more productive in the office, so we're letting them do that. And the people that are not comfortable yet, they're okay working from home. For us, our staff has still been very productive being away from the office, but some of them miss that collaboration. So We opened up a couple of weeks ago and they are starting to come back in and you have to book a hoteling space. So you have to book your desk or office before you go into the office. But our hard point is we want to put our employees first. And again, that's also from a retention and traction standpoint that we're putting our employees first and making sure that they're comfortable in coming back or staying at home. And they're doing a great job with the productivity as well. So we're giving them that choice, at least at this point.
0: So, Ray, I feel like I need to preface this next question with a disclaimer about not giving investment advice, but we're almost out of time, so it's going to be a very pointed question. If you were a downtown office owner in uh, Vancouver or Toronto, is it buy, sell, or hold recommendation?
1: I would hold for now because I think things are still up in the air and how space will be utilized. And again, I'm a little bit biased because I'm a strong proponent of downtown office space because of the amenities and because of the focus of public transit. I'm still a strong believer on that. It definitely wouldn't be a seller. And again, I think companies are implementing their investment strategy. So some of the assets will be disposed of based on the overall portfolio, but I'm still a believer of downtown office space.
2: Yeah. Presumably those dispositions are well thought through and didn't happen after COVID started. They were probably assets they were looking at disposing of in the first place. So it's one of those things, it's you know cart before the horse, potentially. We are out of time. Thanks, Ray, again for coming on and enlightening us with all the information about Office. I look forward to having you back on in November. Thanks for joining. See you again next time.
0: Welcome to the commercial real estate podcast after show where Aaron and I talk about the conversation that just took place. Aaron, Ray's always, always good. Uh, but I thought this in particular was super, super interesting. You know, We actually zeroed in on a, you know a very specific topic this time being Toronto and Vancouver office because uh, in the past we have kind of hopped all over asset classes and uh, in cities that might get uh, a touch confusing for people. But uh, I, I really enjoyed it. There was a, a couple of things that stood out as notable that we'll probably will revisit with him over, you know, the next coming year. And that is, you know, the new product coming on stream. Uh, Toronto in particular has a, a very robust delivery schedule coming up. Vancouver does as well. But I remember, I think it was you and I sitting at uh, the conference out there where they talked about Vancouver having more more pre-leasing in place for their office coming on stream so it's less of a risk there but i think toronto had a lot more spec build going on in the uh, you know the excitement of the the pre-pandemic lowest vacancy in north america and the office sector excitement that uh, toronto was was experiencing that's going to be big lumpy dispositions of class a office that were probably expecting some very high rents you know i've got a vision in my head of uh, you know a snake trying to uh, digest uh, a pig. You know, I'm sure you've seen that on the internet before. Ew,
2: Ew. <laughs> <laughs> um, Thanks for that visualization. But no, but yeah, like, I, like if you remember, oh, I can't remember who the guest was. We had one episode where we were just talking about just what's going on in the office market where, you know, there were, I think it was something like 7 million square feet, you know, in the entitlement development process coming on in Toronto, the majority of it being spec build, right? All in the downtown core, predominantly, and it was a result of these office vacancies being, like you said, you know, the lowest in North America. So it's not surprising when, as Ray's kind of talking about these numbers. I'm just going to reiterate because I don't think we really specified those two. But a year ago, Vancouver was 6.8 percent. Today, Vancouver is 9.8 percent. These are office availability rates. A year ago, Toronto was 9.4 percent. So think about that. If we were sub four pre-COVID. Q2 2020 we were 9.4 percent so a quick a quick jump and then today or at least Q2 2021 the office availability in Toronto is 14.8 so basically 15 percent that's not a really a demand thing that's just a supply thing right like it, there was so much coming that it's just it's it's obviously just in, push that push that rate up now context for context the national rate is still 15 and a half percent so Toronto's still below the national rate. I apologize for our Albertan friends, but Edmonton is 19.5 and Calgary is 25%. So you think 15% availability rates high, it, it is It is not necessarily. And sorry, in Montreal, I guess if you want to do the MTV thing, Montreal is also 15%. So the story is consistent throughout the country.
0: Yeah. And, it, you know, an office as well as one of those asset classes that's a little more comfortable vacancy than, you know, than others. You know, if in the last, in the last fifteen years, if we saw an apartment building in either of those markets, being Toronto or Vancouver, and the vacancy was near around fifteen percent, we'd be pretty alarmed with that. But office, you know, is very comfortable. Even even pre-COVID when Toronto was the lowest vacancy in the country, it's still four percent, whereas apartments would be, you know, down below a percentage point. And you know, as another example, the Toronto suburban market. Has been happily existing at an eight or nine or ten percent vacancy rate for the last, you know, ten or fifteen years, and you know, people are still very interested in leasing in that market and very interested in buying investments in that market. So it's not those are not catastrophic numbers. I mean, Calgary and obviously, those numbers are a little more problematic, but these are not. uh, This is not super dangerous territory for this asset class.
2: You know, one thing I wanted to mention, and I I felt bad for I put I kind of put Ray on the spot, and and and, you know, just for listeners. You know, we we're recording this You know, slightly after Ray's logged off. And so Ray kind of said, yeah, I, I needed those numbers. because I was asking about the square feet of the RBC Plaza that's for sale. That's this sort of, as he indicated, it's almost once in a generation type sale. Um, so I, I, I did quickly kind of do a quick search on this. And so it's being sold by Oxford Properties and the CPPIB, which is Canada Pension Plan Investment Board. They're anticipating the sale to be north of a billion dollars, okay? Uh, and it's 1.5 million square feet, including... That's with both towers, including sort of the retail sort of concourse path uh, section. You know, you don't know what that retail... is called the RBC Plaza. It's that giant gold building that literally is across the street from Union Towers. It's multiple multiple towers. And so it's beautiful it, though. It is absolutely it's beautiful. It's a pretty yeah. pretty building. It's the one that's got it looks like a staircase if you're looking up from it. So it's like it's literally no matter where you are inside the envelope, you've got a corner office because it's just a whole bunch of corners all the way through. So it is I mean it's a 1.5 million square feet, obviously that's 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 you know material amount of space. And anything that can potentially reach, you know what's a billion dollar purchase price. Yeah, that doesn't happen very often in this marketplace in Canada, particularly, right?
0: Yeah, or even within that uh, that asset class, because it tends to be pension funds just holding on for uh, for decades. So, yeah, it's, it's be interesting to watch to see what happens. You know, the final number will be very, very interesting. I did like that uh, Ray did, you know, hedges bets by just sticking to the prediction. There'll be you know over over a billion. I think, I think we're almost at time here, but we're, we did talk about the um, the sublets, right? There's a huge amount of sublet space in the market, and then most of that will not end up getting leased and then will end up being a vacancy. But it, it did trigger a memory of the first dollar I ever made uh, in real estate. Do you want to hear it?
2: It's a sublet no, story. I That's no, why. I, no, I don't I don't. know. I don't want to hear that. <laughs> okay. Let's just keep going. Let's just wrap at it. Yeah? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Go, no, <laughs> yeah, of course. Go. Oh. Okay, okay. I thought
0: oh, you were serious for a second. All <laughs> right. So this was, uh, I was at Colliers where I worked prior to uh, First National and uh, I've been cold calling and going around Industrial market then was not the hot commodity it is now. You know, lots of stuff in the market. And uh, I called a landlord, and they gave me a sublet listing. Sorry, I didn't call. I didn't call a landlord. I called a tenant, and they gave me a sublet listing from a ten thousand square feet in a, an industrial plaza. And I was super excited, and I didn't realize at the time how little attraction sublets held. You know, with remaining term of a year and a half in a market that was already saturated with the product. And, uh, so, you know, listed it and did some tours and, uh, ended up never doing that deal. So that's what made me think about a lot of this office space that's currently for sublet is a lot of it probably will end up never, you know, never actually transacting as a sublet. We'll come back to the bill, avail- you know, come back to this true vacancy. Uh, but what I did do is I toured somebody through that property who didn't like the unit I had listed, but liked one of the other ones available. It was with the landlord. So I said, well, hey, you know, I'll, I'll happily take you over to the landlord's office and uh, plugged it in for my first deal done there. That was that one. Just kind of scooped that guy while he's headed over to the landlord's office. And uh, as tradition is there, they cut your tie on your first deal. So I got my tie cut shortly afterwards. But uh, it just kind of triggered a, a memory of, uh, of, you know, the, the pains of sublet uh, sublet leasing. <laughs> Uh, yeah,
2: that's uh, yeah. It is. It's and it, you know, it's funny because it's not something we've really had to talk about in office or or retail or industrial, right? In the last sort of decade or more, twenty twenty years probably, because it's just it's been such a frothy market. And it is now a reality of the office space and and retail, for that matter. That we're just we're just having to deal with. Curious though that that's how you got your uh, how you got your tie cut, quote
1: unquote. I love <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs>
2: We didn't talk to Ray about it, and this is just a hook for the next episode at some point in the future. But one of the things that I think is really interesting about this office market, and with clearly with pandemic woven into it, is where is the office sharing market going, and how is WeWork navigating this, and what how is that going to transpire? Because one of the reasons we always heard about the office market being so tight was just the amount of absorption. By space sharing or office sharing companies, we work as one of them. But there are many others just just just, bought, just leasing up space left, right, and center. I'm assuming they're long those leases. I wonder what proportion of the sublet market they they make, and I wonder what the future looks like for that business model. Haven't heard much. I mean, before COVID, WeWork was it's like every other day. They're the largest landlord their largest tenant in manhattan they're the largest tenant in the world you know they were just they were just kind of gobbling up space like all over the place uh, with the underlying currents of yet they haven't made a dollar of profit ever in their history (laughs) uh, and i just I, i wonder where that is now i don't know the answer we will find somebody to talk about that so so stay tuned that's uh that's an upcoming upcoming uh podcast episode Thanks, everybody, for listening. That's enough of us rambling around on this topic. Talk to you again next time.
0: Thank you for listening to the CRE podcast. The information from this broadcast is not to be relied upon as financial investing, professional accounting, or legal advice. First National Financial LP holds Financial Services
1: Commission of Ontario License Number 10514 and 11252.